Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 11. Today's guest is Logan Schwartz from Austin Vitality Coach. Logan and I became friends back in 2009 when we did a 40-week fellowship in functional movement together. Every year, the program takes 80 movement professionals from all over the globe to study the human body and learn how every joint and muscle moves in all three planes of motion and how the ankle impacts the knee and the knee impacts the hip and so on. There are osteopaths from Australia, strength coaches from Japan, MDs from the East Coast, athletic trainers from Major League Baseball, and soft tissue specialists from the NBA. And everyone comes together to learn and share information so that we can help our athletes and clients perform at their best. There are a lot of smart minds in this group, but I don't know of anyone sharper than Logan. His ability to take complicated science and turn it into easy-to-understand actions by using analogies is brilliant. He's worked with some of the greatest basketball players in the game, like Kevin Durant, and also the grade school kid that's just getting started on their playing journey. You're going to love hearing his thoughts on building healthy basketball players and also healthy coaches and parents. So here's Logan Schwartz. Logan, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Mike. This is uh, I'm looking forward to this. Well, I've, I've been looking forward to having you on ever since I started because we've been friends for 10 years I remember we met at the first gift gathering in Adrian, Michigan, and I was a little unsure of how to handle things because I'm the head strength coach at Gonzaga, and you were working with men's and women's basketball at Texas, and I wasn't sure if I should be you know, puffing my chest out or if we were going to be frenemies or what, and you were so inviting, and we played hoops that first night, and you invited me down to Texas, and so I learned really quick that you're not just a great strength coach, but you're a great guy, so I can't wait to pick your brain today. Oh, well, I mean... What's interesting is I think at those gift gatherings, I was just happy to see another strength and conditioning coach. And then, um, you know, once I found out that you were with basketball, that was that was an instant connection. So um, now I'm looking forward to it because, again, I think, you know, we, we learned through the Gray Institute to think in a little bit different way. So I was just happy to be around individuals that kind of pushed my boundaries and, um, you know, got my mind, got my wheels turning. Well, so tell me a little bit about your background, because. You've lived a couple of different careers. You know, we met as when you were a basketball strength coach, but kind of tell me how you got into that world and what you're doing now. Well, you know, I was in grad school at the University of Texas and and I needed a job. So I was I was looking around at um, at professions and I always I really dug movement growing up. I really and actually my sport was basketball, but I enjoyed all forms of movement. I did a uh, martial arts. I did uh, I went to a small school. So basically, if you were you know, if you were a kid that had some kind of athleticism, you played every sport. So I played football, basketball, a little bit of baseball, golf, everything, track. And um, so in grad school, I, I heard that they had these positions called strength conditioning coaches, and I was just I was enamored by it. So I uh, walked into a weight room, um, uh, the, the basketball weight room at UT, and I met this guy named Todd Wright. And um, I said, I want to do what you do. And he looked at me and said, uh, "All right, be here tomorrow at 8 a.m." And so I was with him. I was with him from then on. Uh, interned at interned there, and then 
he started up a, a performance training business called Train for the Game. So I helped um, him and another guy start that up. So I was there for four years while I was finishing grad school and a little bit after grad school. And then I got my position at Texas and I was at Texas for just under a decade um, working with men's and women's basketball and with Todd. And then, you know, I got kids now. And so I kind of got away from the, the running around the country, you know, chasing these 18 to 22 year olds. Um, and so I, I, I kind of wanted to get into more of the health side. Um, I really enjoy you know, the aspects of not only performance and winning and trying to, you know, compete, but also the aspects of living a life um, that is, that is, you know, makes you a better person, makes you a better father, makes you a better husband. And so I really wanted to get with people that wanted to change their health around in, in, in different aspects with that. So now I, I started a business called Austin Vitality Coach. So I work with clients, uh, some athletes still too, um, but mainly working in the context of the health paradigm. Um, then I also, you know, I've, I've done some speaking for a couple of the groups that me and you know um, about and, and uh, the Gray Institute. And then now I also am uh, a part owner in a tech company called Your Trainer, where we're actually developing some digital platforms for people to change their lives through health and fitness. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. Well, and I love how you see the body as more than just a body or the person as more than just a body. You know, you see mind, body, spirit, and you have a big picture of human movement. And so tell me a little bit about the difference between building basketball players versus building healthy humans. I, I naively got into working in athletics thinking, you know, I, I kind of thought in the back of my head that athletes had to be the healthiest people on the planet. Um, because of all the stuff they're able to do from a physical standpoint. And once you get into athletics, you very quickly realize that these athletes are genetically gifted. They're not necessarily the healthiest individuals, but they are very, they're able to withstand a massive amount of stress and training and competition. Now, from a, uh, a practical standpoint, performance in and of itself is above and beyond human capability. So it's by nature, it's not necessarily the healthiest practice. I mean, we don't we don't stop a basketball game when someone's you know had too much. We 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 see who can last the longest. So you know when I when I look at performance, it's kind of performance is what it is. We're trying to compete, we're trying to win, but what sets us up is the foundation for health because we know that if we're the if we don't have health, if we don't have the ability to withstand uh, the rigors of training um, and recover from that training, we're not going to be able to compete. So I, I kind of look at health as kind of the foundation for not only a, 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 a athlete, but for a foundation for everybody, because everybody is in a performance type of game, whether that's your job, whether that's your passion, career, hobby, or if you're lucky enough to compete in you know, high school and division one and, and professional athletics, that's your job. And what I've realized is the ones that really, you know, the, the, I'm really amazed at athletes that have longevity and the athletes that have the most longevity, the Tim Duncans, the Tom Brady's, the, the, um, I mean, the Kobe Bryant's, they realize from a very early, early age that what got them there is not going to be what keeps them there. So what they have to do is kind of change 
and get into other avenues, knowing that the physical body is going to break down, how are they going to win against the other athletes in the terms of sleep and nutrition and recovery and mindset? And these are, this is why you're seeing these athletes play for longer is because now they're able to tap into these other underlooked avenues where it's not that, you know, once you're a 10 year pro, your body starts breaking down. You can turn that 10 year career into a 15, into a 20 year career. If you take care of the health principles, that'll get you through that. Obviously we have things like sleep and nutrition, but even inside the training hour that you're with them. How do you kind of manage that building a good, healthy athlete versus training someone to be better at their sport? You know, you got to train through uh, train for the game. You had high school athletes, obviously college athletes and even professional basketball players. You know, are you changing your program design um, to kind of elicit that longevity in their career or are you training them strictly for jump higher, cut quicker, get stronger? Well, it, it goes back to an assessment. So you, you, you take an athlete. In, in training, I look at it uh, like I'm watering a plant. So the athlete is the plant. If I just take a gallon of water and dump it onto that plant, I'm going to have a mess. So that water's going to spill all over. I'm not going to get any water actually into the plant itself. So that's equivalent to an injury. So basically what I've done is I've taken a boatload of training, and this athlete can't absorb that training. So what I have to do from a very early on is say how much can I have to I have to kind of be a detective. I have to say how much training stress because everything's a stress. Training is a stress. You don't get better. I always tell athletes this. You don't get better training. You get better because of the training in the recovery process. So lifting weights does not make you stronger. Lifting weights actually makes you weaker. You're actually weaker the next day when you've lift weights. But what happens is your body says, okay, I'm going to absorb that stress and I'm going to come back stronger later. So actually in two to three days is when you're actually stronger from lifting weights. So I would have athletes say this. They would say, uh, coach, um, what exercises should I do to get stronger? And I'm like, well, you're getting weaker when you're doing an exercise. What you need, when do you get stronger? Well, I get stronger when I'm sleeping and when I'm eating. and all. Okay, so you need to worry about, coach, what do I need to eat and how do I need to sleep to get stronger? Because really anything will get you stronger, any type of training. So when I'm looking at an athlete, I'm trying to, de- to decipher myself how much, how big is this potted plant? You know, I can I, do I need to just pour a little bit of water in and then a little bit more and a little bit more? Maybe I need to take two days in between training. Maybe this is a freak athlete that can recover in 24 hours. Um, so the, the whole game of, of performance training is how much training stimulus do I give this athlete? And how quickly can they absorb that and come back so I can give them more? What are the things that allow you to give the athletes more? If you want to be able to train them four days a week, what are those things outside of training that will allow them to come back and be ready for it? First of all, where they are, where their habits, where their environment, where where they are now from a health standpoint is going to determine how much training they can take. Now, what we can do is we can actually improve that health status. So it's kind of like a sponge absorbing water. We can give you a bigger sponge. So if if this athlete is not sleeping eight to 10 hours a night, and I say eight to 10 hours and people think I'm, I'm crazy, but eight hours is what an average person needs. An athlete needs upwards to 10 hours, all right? So 
if they're not sleeping eight to 10 hours, it doesn't matter what I'm doing training wise, they're not going to be absorbing that because that's when you're actually producing most of your growth hormone and reestablishing these neural connections for all your movement patterns. So I need to look at how they're sleeping. I also need to look at their, their nutrition because literally you are what you eat. What you eat is actually building your tissues. You're recycling your tissues every single day, every single hour. You're getting a new body, basically a new body every seven years, right? So what, what you're eating is actually going to determine how we're building. Are we building a, a, you know, a straw house or are we building a brick house, okay? So I look at that. And then I also look at stress and stress I mean, stress now is i think the number one problem that we have in a western world it's um you know are we overtaxed uh do we have way too many connections are we disconnected from nature do we ever see the sunrise sunset do we ever get out into the sun um when it's dark is it dark for us like literally when the sun goes down, I tell my athletes, your phones, your TV, everything goes off. You go into bed. We're, we're designed as humans to be diurnal, meaning that we have activity and we eat and we, and we move around during the day when the sun's up. But at night, we should be not moving, not eating, sleeping. So it's kind of like this whole lifestyle component. That's what I'm really interested in. That's why I got into health more is because it doesn't matter – what you're doing you can have the best training program in the world but if your athletes don't have a healthy lifestyle they're always going to not attain the optimal results now what happens with elite athletes division one athletes in the pro athletes is we see these guys and they're able to not sleep they're able to eat skittles they're able to to uh stay out all night and they can make it these are the genetic people these are the, the genetic outliers most in my in my experience, most of the elite athletes are there by attrition. They're the ones that can withstand the training, withstand the lifestyle. There was a great article that just came out on ESPN talking about the hidden secret in the NBA is this sleep deprivation and how the, the schedule is such that they almost can't get sleep. So now you're looking at the elite guys in the NBA or the, the genetic freaks that can actually deal with a nocturnal lifestyle, even though it might not be the optimal. So a lot of times I, I will hear an athlete say, well, I hear, you know, so-and-so in the league, uh, he, 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 you know, he doesn't watch what he eat. He doesn't, you know, sleep and all that. And I say, well, that's not you, <laughs> you know, in, in order for you to do that, you would need his parents. And I can't give you his parents, but I can teach you how to sleep and how to eat and how to, you know, get outside every once in a while. How did you deal with this at Texas? Because it was really shocking to me as I started uncovering people's sleep diaries and their nutrition diaries and seeing the lack of nutrition, the lack of total calories in, and then the quality of the food, and then the lack of sleep. We will actually have athletes that are sleeping five to six hours a night, and you know they're, they're finding a way to get it done, but we know that's not optimal for them, and it's just a matter of time before they see those overuse or overtraining happening. How do you make those adjustments as a strength coach? You know those half the team is probably not getting the sleep they need. Are you actually cutting back volume? How are you dealing with that? Well, it, it, it's one of the hardest – I think as a strength conditioning coach, it's one of the hardest things to deal with. And I think it needs to be a program-wide um, culture of um, you know, we, we're into the health and the performance of the athlete themselves. 
So, uh, you know, establishing bedtime routines, establishing, you know, uh, uh, especially uh, one of the big things is for team meals, making sure there's just healthy food there, healthy options. But one of the things I love to do was lead by example and do things myself the correct way. When I would have an athlete that maybe got injured and we would talk through what led up to that injury. And I would try to use that as a teaching point to point out, oh, you, you, you haven't been sleeping very much. Uh, you're stressed over your girlfriend. Uh, you haven't been eating the best um, and you're training more than you ever have. So guess what? You're going to fall off this cliff. So it's a, it's a very tricky thing because it's, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's a mindset. One of the other things we really tried to, to get home with our athletes and, and really drive on was you're going to show me with every single action that you do in every single waking moment whether you want to win or lose. It's not just what you do when you walk into the weight room and what you um, do when you walk onto those onto the court in between those lines. It's what you do on a minute-to-minute -minute basis. In your competition, you will win if you make more right decisions than he does throughout the 24 hours of each day. It's not if you make the more right decisions on the basketball court. If you make more right decisions than he does every single day, then you will succeed. And that's what you're seeing with the LeBron James, with the with uh, the Tom Brady's. You're seeing these guys that they they understand that their body is their investment. Their body, this this body is their vehicle for success, and their skill set can only be honed up to a certain point. That body has to be able to perform that skill set, and so they want to make sure that they're in the most optimal, precise. Um, condition in order to perform their skill set at a high level day after day after day, year after year, decade after decade. Well, you mentioned that stress is stress. And there are things that we can kind of check off. If someone has a bedtime routine and they're getting nine to 10 hours of sleep, we can say, oh, hey, you're doing a great job there. We can do the same thing with nutrition. Hey, they're eating five to six times a day and they have the right macronutrient and whole foods in their diet. How do you deal with the mental stress? Because as a strength coach, I'm seeing that more and more every year that the stressors of being a friend or a student or a boyfriend or girlfriend, those things are really impacting um, people physically. True. It, it, the mental side of it is, it, and, I, and I would tell athletes, like, you have to deal with so much more nowadays than other athletes had to deal with a decade ago, than, than your, your athletes in the 80s and early 90s and mid 90s had to deal with. So what it comes down to is really focus and priority. So you wanna, you wanna figure out like, what, what is my priority? Is my priority you know, seeing how many you know, Instagram followers and Facebook followers I have, or is my priority actually in having a close-knit group that I really value time with and that I'm really going to pay attention to that and my performance on in my craft, whether that's basketball or whether that's, you know, your studies or whatever, focusing down on that and actually getting really good at ignoring all the rest. And it's, it's really hard nowadays because there's so much more out there. What I've learned is you just you have to set boundaries. There has to be hard, fast boundaries. Like I do this, I don't do that. So I don't look at my phone. My phone is not in my bedroom. As an athlete, I would I would if your phone is in your bedroom, you, you're already you're, you've made a bad decision. So if that phone is out of your bedroom, you're going to sleep better. 
You're not going to worry about whatever text message comes up in the middle of the night. Whatever it is, get your phone out of your bed. That's got to be a hard and fast rule, okay? Another hard and fast rule might be, you know what? I'm going to have a strict bedtime. When, when this time comes up, when I need to start getting ready, for, whether that's an hour before bed, whether that's 10 p.m., whether that's 11 p.m., whatever it is, I'm going to hold true to that because I know that that time when I sleep, I'm never going to get it back. And I always say like, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, still scanner is, is that the sleep guy? He always will come back for payment. All right. So if you if you have a bad night's sleep, you can't make that up. It's lost forever. And so it, it always will come back to bite you. So you have to make you have to establish boundaries that say, OK, this is what I'm focused on. These top three priorities are focused on and let everything else go. Now, that's a hard thing to do. That takes maturity. That takes growth. That takes time. But I think athletes are, are figuring that out as they as they move on is, OK, I can't do all of this thing. I can't I can't do everything. I can't be everything to everyone. And what are my three priorities that really fulfill me? Um, you talked about earlier, you were talking when we were talking about Warren Buffett. I, I heard a quote from Warren Buffett that he said, find the 20 percent that will give you the 80 percent of the benefit. So what are what are the decisions that will give you the small decisions that will give you 80 percent of the benefit and, and really hone in on those? So for us coaches, we're still going to have players that aren't able to take care of business outside of the weight room. We have our team come in and maybe the culture is really good, but we have some stragglers. We have three or four athletes that aren't either doing it with the sleep or the nutrition or being able to handle the prioritization with the mental stress piece. Are you cutting back volume? Are you just saying, well, if you're not going to take care of business, you're going to pay for this through, you know, struggling through the workout and not being your best do you actually make adjustments to your workout based off of how athletes take care of themselves outside the weight room? Uh, I, I would. I definitely would. And I would do that because I know like if, if, if I'm not adjusting uh, their training, then I have a chance to get them injured and they're not absorbing that training. I can actually make them worse. So there's a, there's a fine line with training stress is I want to be just above the threshold for adaptation but if I go too far, I'm actually creating a negative consequence. So what I need to do is sometimes the best training session is to not train them and to actually go into, you know, talking with them and developing these other aspects and letting them know how important those other aspects are. And, you know, it, it's very much culturally in athletics where we think the harder you work, the better you'll be when when that's true to a point. The harder you work and you're you're not taking care of these other aspects, you will actually get worse. Now, if you have everything else dialed in, yes, the harder you work, the better you'll get. So it's not just about working hard. It's about working smart and setting yourself up for success because you want to you want to set yourself up. I, I would tell athletes this. You want to set yourself up so you're able to benefit from that hard work. It's not just about going out there and working hard because I say working hard is your your admission ticket. It gets you into the door. The ones that really have success are the ones they all work hard. The ability to get in and now work smart. Now say, what do I need to work hard on? Because if I'm a great three point shooter and I keep working on my three point shot, is that hard work or am I not working on my weaknesses? Am I just am I just improving something that I'm already really good at because I like doing it? 
And I can work really hard at my three-point shot if I'm a really good three-point shooter because I enjoy it, right? But it's hard work to actually work on the other aspects of your game that might not be as fun. So yeah, going to sleep on time and working on nutrition and you know working on your lifestyle and all that, it's not fun in the moment, but the return on investment is exponential because those habits will actually translate later on in life. Now, you told me that overtraining and injury is a result of specialization. So how do you balance general movement qualities of your basketball players and also help them improve at their sport at the same time? Because we talk about, you know, if they're getting that work and whether it's, you know, in the weight room or on the court, you get enough reps in doing the same thing. um, You're probably putting yourself at risk for injury. So I kind of go back from what is a human. So humans were animals, right? So if I look at the movement capabilities, what is a human animal? We're not the fastest animal on the planet. We're not the best climbers. We're not the strongest. Um, The one thing that we can do is we can do it all. So humans are actually movement generalists. So I always say I'm not faster than a cheetah and I can't climb better than a monkey, but I can climb better than a cheetah and I'm faster than a monkey. So I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. So as humans, the reason why we're on the top of the food chain and the reason why we're the only animal in every nook and cranny of this earth is because we are movement generalists. So my uh, my dog can't move like me, but I can get on the ground and move like my dog. We, we're designed to actually move in a variety of ways, in variable ways. Now, in our culture, we hold the specialists up. So we look at the guys that can throw the fastest, run the fastest, jump the highest, uh, catch the best. We look at the specialists. So sport is about this specialization, okay? And in general, anytime we have specialization, we have overtraining and we have injury and we have overuse, okay? So the problem with specialization is a double-edged sword. So if I have an athlete that is really good at their sport, And they can, like, let's say a baseball pitcher, and they can throw really, really hard, but they can't squat down to the ground. They're going to be set up for problems later on. Their their ability is going to be capped. So what I look at is that the reason why I gravitated towards basketball is that basketball is a movement sport. Okay, it involves a lot of movement. So what I'm trying to do is build a base level of athleticism. With every athlete, I want them to be able to squat. I want them to be able to lunge. I want them to be able to hang, pull up, press, move on the ground, move upright, move in every which way. Once they have that foundation, then I can start getting things into a little more sports specific. So now I can take lunging and squatting and all of these things and really adapt them towards the game of basketball. Okay, I can take sprinting, I can take running, and I can adapt it to the confines of a 94 by 50 basketball court. So these are the these are the avenues first. The problem I, I think the mistake I think we've made with sports specific training is we've gone too specific. We we could care less if you're able to um you know uh, squat down to the ground and sit on the ground. We could care less about that if you can uh, make a jump shot. Um, so I think for for health and longevity we need to create more of these general movement abilities. And then, then you have a base to actually launch your sports-specific athleticism off of that. 
is that a prerequisite for you? So when your athletes come in, especially I like going back to the college athletes, because I think once you get to the pros, you might be just looking at longevity and you might not be looking at improving their vertical or their strength. But for that high school college athlete, are there things that they need to do before you actually move more to that sport specific qualities of power, reaction, quickness type stuff? Totally. I, I need I need to make sure that this athlete has a a a certain base mobility that they can move through each individual joint in a way that that is demanded by a human animal. Like so, if I was going to evaluate a snake, I want to make sure that snake can slither, right? So if I'm going to evaluate a basketball player or if I'm going to evaluate a human, I need to see if they can squat down. That's a base a base movement pattern. It's how we used to sit. We used to squat all the way down to the ground. It's how we got to the ground to be able to rest. It's how we used to. Ha- it's how we used to have children. It's how we used to go to the bathroom. And so nowadays we've lost that ability to squat down low, squat down, get down deep. And this is what you know. A lot of coaches are like, "Why can't you know? Why can't my players get down in their stance? Why can't they get in their defensive stance?" It's like no one can get into a defensive stance nowadays. It's because we don't do it. We don't. Our daily life doesn't require it. So I need. I need them to show a good amount of ability to just lower themselves with gravity. I need them to show a good ability to lunge in multiple planes. I need to, them to show me a good ability to have some kind of upper body strength where they can support their own body weight, whether that's, you know, hands and feet on the ground, whether that's hanging from a bar. Um, you know, a question, a lot of times like, you know, a strength coach might ask me, you know, uh, do you do pull-ups with your guys? And, you know, yeah, but I make sure they can hang from a bar first. Because the prerequisite for a pull-up is being able to just hang. Can you support your body weight? Do you have enough grip strength to be able to hang from the bar um, before you actually start trying to pull yourself up? So it's less from an exercise standpoint, looking at specific exercise, and more from a general movement. This human animal is designed to do these things. Um, Once we have that, then we can start throwing in, okay – now we're going to add a little agility onto that or a little coordination onto that, and we're going to combine movement patterns, and we're going to get really into the, to the skill specificity. I think everything is a skill. Um, I think general movement is a skill, and we, we need to be skillful in all aspects, not just the refined skills that we look at with shooting and dribbling and passing and things like that. And you got to train arguably the best player in the, in the world right now, Kevin Durant. And I heard a story that when he went to the NBA combine, he wasn't able to bench press 185 pounds one time. Yet he's one of the best players in the world and really strong. I, I've never got to play against him, but I can imagine he's a bear to guard. So what does that tell us about traditional strength versus movement? Well, I'll tell you, I remember me and Todd talking about this Actually, Kevin, it's not only that he couldn't bench 185, he actually finished dead last in the NBA combine. Like if you took all of the uh, tests that they did, he finished dead last, like like everybody finished in front of him, but yet he won rookie of the year. So I'm not a statistics major, but that's an inverse relationship between combine uh, status and success in the league. So what happens is we, we're fascinated by numbers as strength and conditioning coaches. So what makes Kevin a great basketball player is that he has a seven, four and a half wingspan. There's not a bench press in the world that's going to fit this guy. So what makes him a great basketball player actually makes him a terrible bench presser. So if you, I don't know if you've ever watched any uh, powerlifting competitions, they all have short arms, but all your basketball players have long arms and long legs. 
So our, we learned this. I mean, remember Todd saying this back in Texas. He would say, man, our best players are our worst guys in the weight room from a, from a true like strength standpoint. Our, best, our strongest guys were our walk-ons in the, in the classic lifts like bench and squat and all these. Because what makes you a great basketball player with, with a huge aspect of basketball is your body structure, the genetic gift of having long arms, tall, and long legs. That gives you an advantage, okay? So my question would be, what are you measuring with a 185 bench press? Um, that, might, might, you know, that might have a correlation in the NFL, but not a correlation necessarily in basketball. So we, we always had this joke. I remember Todd telling me, the knock on Kevin at Texas, he, Kevin actually played center for us at Texas. He was our, he was our five. And the knock on the, the scouting report was, Oh, you got to beat this guy up. He's so weak. You got to beat him up. And, and, and I remember coach Barnes would say, go ahead, try it. And guys could not move him out of the post. He was just unbelievable in the post. Nobody could move him out of there. And he was like an 87% free throw shooter. So if you did get physical with him, he'd go to the foul line and he'd, he'd torture him in the foul line too. So what, what you thought you were getting, just because you looked at his body structure and you're like, oh, he looks weak. He must not be strong. He was one of the best movers. I mean, he might be one of the best movers on the planet. I was amazed at, you know, he'd come back in the summers and we would give him tasks to do and he would just figure them out like that. I remember one time we had a, I think we cranked one of our goals up to like 11 feet and we had like a, a 20 pound medicine ball. And we were like, Kev, we want you to squat down and dunk this 20 pound. And he did it like it was nothing. So like his ability to move was incredible. The problem was the tests that we classically use to evaluate athletes, the bench press, the sprint, the vertical jump, do not apply to the freaks of nature, the guys that are outside. The, so the tests need to get better, right? So it'd be like if I, if, I, if I tried to, if I had a stopwatch that only measured in hours and I was trying to measure Usain Bolt's 100 meters, it's a very bad, it's a very bad technology for what I'm trying to test. And I think the, if, I'm, if I'm evaluating, you know, seven feet, six, eight, you know, long-armed um, individuals, I, I mean, I can't think of a worse test than the bench press. I used to sit, I, I came to a realization, I used to sit with um, – a player that we had back in the day, he was 6'10". And when we sat down in chairs, I was eye to eye with him. And I'm only 5'10". And I was eye to eye. And when he stood up, he's a foot taller than me. So I started thinking, okay, for him to squat down to parallel, like in a back squat, he's having to go through so much more range through his ankles, knees, and hips than I am. There's no chance he's going to ever be able to squat like I can. Now, and vice versa, there's no chance I'm ever going to be able to block shots like he does. So it's almost like the test is not indicative of performance. And in basketball, that's why you see these, these classic you know, guys don't really put much stock into what's done in the combine. They don't really put a whole lot of stock in there because they know that we really want to evaluate what they do on the court. Now, in the NFL, it's a little different animal. There's a little different there's, – there's more of a direct correlation maybe to – combine performance and and skill set because it's it's less of a skill it's more of an of a true pure raw athletic sport i heard you say uh you gave an example about if someone walked for just 30 minutes a day for the course of a month that would be the equivalent of walking two marathons my little program is called hoop commitment and it's the idea of what's that commitment that you can make every day 
that over the course of the month or the year will turn out to be something really good. I wanted this podcast to be about how do we build healthy athletes. What are some things that our athletes can do on a daily basis that maybe for that day won't make a huge difference, but the accumulation over the course of a month or over the course of the season is going to do a lot to keep them healthy? Well, I'll, I'll, I can tell you a story about, about walking that's, that's I mean, it's, it's fascinating. So it is true. Like, so if you walk at about three and a half miles an hour, which is a very – actually, it's not even a brisk walk. It's actually kind of a normal walk. Um, if you walk at three and a half miles an hour um, for 30 minutes, you've covered 1.75 miles, right? And so you add that up over 30 days in a month, and you'll cover 52 and a half miles. So that's a that that is that's over two marathons. That's a massive amount. So that little 30 minute a day commitment is actually translating to a massive amount of base under you. Now, I was talking to an NBA strength coach and he was telling me how he's an old strength coach. And he was telling me basically he is under the impression now that athletes are so aerobically deficient. They have no aerobic base. And the reason is, is because we don't move even athletes. So we go train hard. And then we go and sit and they play video games all day. No one has to walk around. No one has to run around. No one has to do chores. No one has to be really physically active at this low level state all day long. And so what's happening is you're taking these really gifted athletic um, athletes and they don't have any basic foundation aerobic base under them. So he was he was working with a I think it's a 15 year vet in the in the no, he's a 12 year vet in the NBA and this guy was saying, you know, coach, I can't condition like I used to because my body just gets beat down, um, but I want to stay in good shape. And so this athlete, this pro, he started walking on a treadmill 90 minutes a day at, a, at about a 5% grade. So he would walk 90 minutes a day. And he was a podcaster, too, and he would work on his notes and everything for his podcast. And he said it was incredibly boring. But he would walk 90, every day, 90 minutes a day. And the only time he conditioned is when he played pickup. And this guy is known as one of the top conditioned athletes in the NBA, and he doesn't do any conditioning. All he does is build this massive aerobic base that he can call on whenever he wants. So again, it kind of goes back to that working smart. So most athletes would think, okay, if I go conditioned high intensity, beat myself up, and I do it every day, I'm going to be the best conditioned athlete. And in turn, you might actually be breaking yourself down. While working hard might be going on an hour walk every day, walking briskly every single day for an hour, building this massive aerobic base that you can launch your high intensity efforts from. So, so a, a, a little, little things that you can do every day, walking is a massive thing. Walk everywhere, walk upstairs. I'm, I'm amazed at the, at the active couch potato syndrome. You know, you take these, even our athletes at UT, it's like, they just went and hooped for three hours, running up and down, running like deers, jumping out of the gym, but they want to ride to class, and it's like a half a mile. I'm like, you're one of the greatest athletes on this planet. You can put one foot in front of another and walk to class. So walking is a massive thing. Move. Take the stairs. Use that athletic gifted body that you're given, not just to play hoops. Use it in every single thing you do, okay? That's a good tidbit. Another good tidbit is see the sunrise every morning. Go out, when that sun goes up, go out and look at that sun. Because what that's going to do is that's actually going to reestablish your circadian rhythm for the rest of the day. You're actually going to sleep better at night. It's telling your body, hey, the sun's up. It's time to be active. It's time to get outside. It's time to do something. Okay, so that, that little tidbit. Also, just seeing the sunrise every day gives you a kind of a sense of gratitude. 
that, hey, I got another day to get better. I got another day um, in this life. And so I, I, I would almost use that as the number one thing is just wake up. When you wake up, when your feet hit the ground, go outside, see that sunrise, get that sun on your face. Even if it's cold in the north, in the northwest, do it. Get outside, look at it, okay? Um, spend some time in nature, little things. Spend, it doesn't have to be long. It can be 10, 15 minutes. It can be in a park. It can be putting your feet on the grass. It can be doing anything, getting outside and doing that. Um, another little tidbit is as soon as you wake up, too, and you're going to get outside, get 16 ounces to a liter of water. Chug that down. So you think about it. If you if you drink water when you wake up, you get outside, you see the sunrise, you get outside in nature, you go for a walk, you establish these little healthy practices that might only take a little bit of time. They might only be 30 minutes a day, but each month you've covered two marathons. What is that over 10 months, right? You got 20 marathons, right? So after year, after year, after year, you're just building this base level. It's these small little wins. It's these small things that build momentum. You know, one of the tidbits I like to give a lot of people is, you know, wake up, make your bed. Well, it's a, it's an easy win. And if you get these easy wins, they add up. So then when you need that last rep of your training, you want, you know, you have one more sprint and you're kind of feeling fatigued and you don't want to do it. You already have all of that momentum of right decisions built up where you're going to accomplish that last task. So those are, those are just a few. I mean, there's, there's tons. I'm, I'm big on the routines. I'm big on to, you know, pre-practice routines, um, post-practice routines. I'm big on nighttime routines, morning routines, just establishing your lifestyle is I accomplish this without fail. I do this without fail. I heard a a uh, story of Peyton Manning. He used to, after practice, he would always go sit in the cold tub for like 30 minutes. He would go just hop in the cold tub. And somebody, one of the players asked him, you know, why, why do you do that? Every sing- he did it every single day. And he said, because it's a hard thing to do and nobody does it. And so he just knew that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build it into my mind that this is going to be hard and I'm just going to do it every single day without fail to where it becomes just habit for me. It's pretty interesting. We've been talking for 40 minutes about keeping athletes healthy and all your suggestions and ideas had nothing to do with a specific exercise. I never once heard you say, Hey, we have to strengthen our glute medius or we have to be able to, you know, make sure our landing mechanics are good. Uh, that's, it's pretty cool to see the big picture lifestyle, the stuff that happens the other 23 hours that we're outside the weight room. Oh, totally. So, you know, you training, you might practice two to three hours a day. You might train an hour to an hour and a half a day. I mean, the week is 168 hours. And so you're sleeping a third of that. You should be sleeping a third of that. So why would you think that small investment of time in your training and what exercise you're doing and what rep set scheme you're doing and, you know, what, all of that, and it pales in com- comparison the rest of the time. Um, how you rest affects how you move more than how you move affects how you move because there's just so much more time invested in your sleep, in your nutrition. We all know, I mean, we know this working with, you know, the average population that you can't out exercise a bad diet. You can't out exercise a bad lifestyle. You can't out exercise bad sleep. Um, so I, I think, you know, we're strength and conditioning coaches. So we really like to get into the nitty gritty of movements and, and rep sets and programs and all of that. But 
in the grand scheme of things, there's a lot of ways to skin that cat. And there's a lot of athletes that are really successful doing vastly different exercise, training programs, certain exercises. Um, they're doing a lot more different stuff. But if you talk to all of the really, really elites that have had longevity, they all eat well. They all sleep well. They all have a calm, peaceful lifestyle that's focused on what they really care about. Logan, this was so helpful and informative. Uh, I know I got a lot out of it. Thank you so much for coming on. For our listeners that want to learn more about you and get more educated, how can they find out about Logan Schwartz? Well, I, uh, you know, I have a, I have a website called Austin Vitality Coach that I probably should check more than I check. Um, but I, I, I kind of practice what I preach. I'm not on any social media platforms. I uh, barely email. So, I mean, that website's probably the best. I, I handle a lot of people just word of mouth and basically, you know, I'll have, I'll have people email me and I'll, I'll always try to get back to them with answers to questions and resources. So my email address is logankschwartz uh, at gmail.com. That's probably the best way to get, get in touch with me. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm, I like to be kind of like a, a little bit off the grid with the, with the tech stuff. So you won't find many videos or, or anything of that with me. I love it. Just practicing what you preach. Too busy living. Exactly. Uh, thank you so much, man. Can't wait to see you again soon. And thanks again for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Mike. It was a blast. How fun was that to hear the Kevin Durant Combine story? It definitely opens up my mind to thinking there's more than just one way to train basketball players. And I love how much Logan cares about his athletes. He knows that hoops will end for everyone at some point. And so he wants to help them not only improve the way they train, but also how they eat, sleep, and enjoy life. And if you want to learn more about keeping your athletes healthy by using proper warm-ups and injury reduction exercise progressions, go to hoopcommitment.com and read some of my training blog posts. Now next week's episode is going to be a little controversial. I watched a Netflix documentary this past weekend called The Game Changers and it's all about the benefits of a vegan diet. It shows how some of the fastest and strongest athletes in the world don't eat any animal products. It's so compelling that one of my pro basketball players texted me just last week and said they're going vegan. And I gotta admit, the documentary had my head spinning. So I immediately called my friend Craig Hunt, who's a registered dietitian and was my sports nutritionist when I played in Europe. And I invited him to be a guest on next week's episode to talk about pros and cons of plant-based diets for health and performance. And of course, nothing is as black and white as the media makes it out to be. Craig has some great thoughts on how to improve your diet, whether you eat meat or not. If you're at all interested in nutrition, you won't want to miss this. And to those of you who are committed, go earn your X. <laughs>